it does take a tribe. It does. The church is a group of like-minded people. We're going to unpack what a church is next week in our legacy piece. But it is men and women from all walks of life, all uh, parts of the world coming together, unified for a purpose. And it takes us all to represent Christ well. We're going to spend the rest of this year in 1 Corinthians. And we're going to talk about the body and its many parts coming together, working together to make the name of Christ great. And it takes Prince, and it takes Johns, and it takes Scott Mackins, and it takes it takes Ryan's, and it takes uh, the ladies on the stage today, and it takes you. It takes uh, sweet Mary back there holding babies. It takes each and every one of us to truly represent him well in this world. Amen? And I hope that you want to be as part as much as John does. <laughs> Lord Jesus, give us more John rights. If you've got your Bibles, turn to 2 Peter chapter 3. I was doing devotions with my kids. We finished up 2 Peter this week. We've been in 1 and 2 Peter for a couple weeks. But as we finished up in chapter 3 on Wednesday of this past week, I thought, this is Sunday's sermon. So here we go. Let's pray and we'll get started. Father, I love you. For the next 40 minutes, give us grace to explain who we are and where we're going. And Lord Jesus... We do what you've called us to do, but you are the only one who can do what really needs to be done, the changing of hearts. So we ask for that grace this morning. As we look to your word, use it to change us, transform us, give us passion to live as you have called us to live and serve as you have called us to serve. It is in Jesus' name every Christian said, amen. amen. Look at this uh, chart real quick. We are in our vision series. It's called Remember because we don't need something new. We need to be reminded of, of who we already are, where we're already going. The mission of the church is the same no matter what church you go to. If they're any kind, even if it's a simpleton, Bible-based understanding, their mission is going to be the mission that God gives us in Matthew chapter 28. We are to make disciples, teaching, baptizing, and teaching everything that Jesus Christ has taught us through his word. This is what the, why the church exists, and that begins with love two weeks ago. It is God who interjects himself into the lives of people. It is God who has done something. We could do nothing for ourselves. So God sent his son and we unpacked the gospel in that service. We exist to come together and proclaim that gospel. God's love for us. God's love for, for them. God's love for the world. People need to know that God loves. So he gave. We believe. And we have everything. Everything we do should be centered and motivated. Right? We're talking about passion today. But if our passion, our work, our service, our hands on whatever plow they may find themselves on, if that is not motivated in the love that God has for us, it simply leads to self-righteousness. How many of you have met that person? Lord, Lord, we're casting out demons. Lord, Lord, we're doing these great works. 
in your name. And Jesus says, get away from me. I don't know you. See, everybody works, but what's the motivation for that? That's why we have to start at love. Our motivation for anything that we do has to come, like we saw in John's video, from the love that Christ poured out on us. That's how we serve in godly ways that honor Christ and reflect him and his work that he has done. That's why we begin with love. What God has done for us is the centerpiece of everything else. But God's love leads us to devotion. When you look at the Bible, God shows up in people's lives and then their lives change. When you get a glimpse of God and who he is and what he's doing, you go, yes, please. Yes, Lord, I will ride with you. Any Brownsville Revival people in here? Remember that? Uh, John remembers. <laughs> you couldn't tell, but he, he was raised charismatic. <laughs> Very hard to see it, but, but it's in there. Devotion. When God loves us, we want to devote ourselves to him. We want to get into his word. We want to learn everything we can about him. We want his words like David and Psalm one time. We want his words to be dripping out of our mouths. We want his words to be in our hearts and in our minds. We want to meditate on them day and night like that tree planted by a stream of living water that will always yield its fruit in season, we want to know everything we can about him. And uh, Pastor Jimmy did a great job last week, didn't he? Taking us to Acts 2, 42. What, what's the first thing the disciples did? What comes next after God shows up and changes your life? They devoted themselves. That word comes right out of the Bible. They devoted, they gave all they had uh, to the teaching of the apostles, the words of Jesus written down, taught by them to us so that we can know everything that he said, and to the fellowship, koinonia. If you've been a Christian five minutes, you've at least seen that word on a, at a Christian bookstore somewhere. And all, all the cool stuff that ladies do with all the painting, there's a sign koinonia, and half your house is in this room probably. Because it's not just the teaching of Scripture, but it's the coming together and, and living together uh, in the teaching of Scripture. We grow better with others than we do isolated by ourselves. We need the conversation piece as we study the Bible. And let me just say this before we move into, to, into passion. Because we take, we take flack all the time. Uh, about our small groups, uh, our target for devotion. We want to come together, study the Bible together in the context of small groups. And we have thoroughly researched the best way to teach people anything, whether it's uh, some secular thing or, uh, more importantly, God's Word. The best way to teach is in the context of community through repetition. Do you want to know why we're an expositional church? Why we go through books of the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse? Because it, it presents context for God's people, and it takes them through a methodologically, a methodological process of learning. And then our small groups, we spend countless 
Hours, I'm talking dozens and dozens and dozens of hours as pastors, uh, teaching pastors here in this church. Pastor Jeremy, Pastor Nick, Pastor Joe over in Carsville. We meet monthly. We're working, sending uh, each other everything to write these study guides because we know research has proven if we connect what we do in here on Sundays, uh, the proclamation of God's word chapter by chapter, and, and then you meet in small groups during the week and you get right back into that same text how many of you know how many of you have done this you've come up to me after a sermon you're like man that is whoo that was awesome what was your favorite part i don't remember but it was good <laughs> right when I'm doing Bible stuff with my kids, I'll have one of them read the text. I'm like, all right, well, what did you get out of that? And he's, uh, he has to go back. You just read it, man. <laughs> we leak. We forget. So we got to get back in there and dig it out in the context of community. That's why our, our, what we call the air war, our preaching is married to our small group strategy. And it's not that we're trying to be mean when you come to us and say, well, in my small group, I'd just rather do this book written by so-and-so from so-and-so where and blah, blah, blah. And we always go, no. And it's not that we hate you and it's not that we hate so-and-so. It's we know how discipleship best works. Connecting what you're doing during the week to what you hear on Sundays. It gets you down deeper, especially in the context of community in this church. And look, do you know the average church in America? I got 31 minutes. We hadn't even started, just so you know. I missed last week, so my, my guns are loaded. Average church in America, and I, when I say average, I'm talking about three-fourths. Three out of four churches in America, 75%, are 70 people or less with one pastor. Do you know why? Because one person cannot handle, sociologically, this is proven research, sociologically, you can't handle more than, you can't really handle more than about 70 relationships. And I don't know about you, but just my family Aunts, uncles, cousins, that's like 40 people right there. Some of you are like, man, I've been coming to the church two years. Brent still doesn't know my name. I got cousins whose names I don't know. <laughs> I'm kidding, man. We get a family Christmas, all these kids, my cousins' kids running around, and they, I don't know why God causes them to give such. Hey, there's Mephibosheth, and there's Melchizedek. I mean, they all got crazy Bible names. I can't remember their names. I'm just like, hey, M, come here. <laughs> Which one are you? In a church this size, we can't all know everybody. But hear me. You need to know somebody. That's why small groups are important. You need to know others, and you need to be known. And here's why it matters. Because at some point, crap's going to hit the fan. It is, and you're going to need somebody. And maybe you're like me, you're an introvert, and relationships are just hard, and you're socially awkward, and it's weird. See, up here, I look pretty normal, don't I? <laughs> I look pretty normal. That's God's grace, I'm telling you. Because get with me one-on-one -on -one for lunch. You're going to talk the whole time. 
while I sit there and just go, uh-huh. <laughs> Relationships may be hard for you. I get it. But even if it's hard, it's worth the investment. You need to know others. You will grow so much faster in the Lord, in his word with other people than you will by yourself. Praise God for the dead guys and all the books that we have to sit in uh, our rooms and our studies and glean from hundreds of years of Christians past. But there's so much meat in a one-on-one real conversation with another living person who loves Jesus just like you do. You need one another. I've showed you year after year after year all the one another verses. You can't be a a New Testament Christian by yourself. You just can't do it. You need other people. So you can't know everybody, but you can know some. So join a small group or a dwell group or a forged group. But is that the end of discipleship? Here we go. Let's start the sermon for today with 28 minutes left. No, we can't just sit around and eat and study the Bible. When we study the Bible with others, there should be a fire that begins to burn in your bones, like Jeremiah said. You just can't sit still. You read about how good God has been and how you get to be a part of it. Your hands just start shaking a little bit. you got to do something with this. Just like if you've got your sports team, you can't just sit on the couch and, and wash. No, you got to take your shirt off. you got to paint your belly. you got to do all kinds of weird stuff. Jesus is more excited. Look, Georgia won twice, two years, baby. Yeah. Go dogs. But there's something more exciting than even that. His name is Jesus. And he's why we're here. He's why this works. If you would have seen me. 15 years ago, pacing my house in my underwear, scratching my head, going, where are people going to come from? You deceived me. (laughs) Nobody cared. (laughs) God has done a work. And it wasn't through Brent Stevens. It was through the gospel. You plant the gospel, and the church grows out of the gospel. And that should do something in you. It should make you want to put your hands on any plow. You know, well, Brent, I don't know what to do. The Bible says, look in front of you. What's right there? Put your hands on that plow and do that. Passion. If you got your Bibles, turn to 2 Peter chapter 3. You're already there. Before we get to, to our work for Christ in this world. We need to start with why work matters. Now, last year, go back, if you weren't here, we went through an entire theology of work from Genesis in the garden all the way through the New Testament to really unpack theologically the the theology of work itself, both secular and Christian work as God's ambassadors in this world. But here's the, the purpose of it all right here found in 2 Peter chapter 3. Now, if, you, if you're unfamiliar with First and 2 Peter, real quick, First Peter, you know the theme of books by uh, the usage of words within the books. Always God, uh, over 30 times in First Peter. Christ, 22 times in Peter is found. Five chapters of First Peter, Jesus is in there 22 times. Isn't that awesome? God is good! But you know what the, the third most used 
word in 1 Peter is? It's 11 times. It's the word suffering. And then after that, 10 times, election or calling. And then six times, a word in the Greek that means your way of life, which can be translated your behavior. Through the salvation of Christ that you are elected and called into, even in suffering and hardship, there is a way in which you are to live to bring glory to your Lord and your Savior. That's the context of 1 Peter. 2 Peter is Peter's farewell address to these Christians. He says in verse 1, This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind. You have a mind that is serious about Christ and about your salvation. You've proven you're serious about it because you continue to follow him through your suffering and and your hardship. But now I'm writing again one more time to stir up that that serious mind of yours about Christ. Paul said the same thing to Timothy. He wanted the, the gift, the spark that God had put in Timothy. Paul fanned it into flame. What happens when the coals begin to die? You take God's word and you begin to uh, the bellow the word on those coals. They begin to flame up and, and, and soon you've got a raging fire. That's what Peter wants for these Christians. It's what I want for me. It's what we want for each other. It's what we want to be as a church. When we studied the book of Acts several years ago, we named the series The Flaming Ones. No, The Burning Ones. That's who we want to be. The world's not getting brighter. It's getting darker. Atlanta burned just last night. don't know if you read the news this morning. The world needs a light. And that Jesus is that light And Jesus makes us the steward of that light. And we need to burn. Peter says, I'm stirring up your sincere mind. By way of, as soon as I read this in family devotion, I was like, yep, there it is. Remember, there's our series for vision. That you should remember. By way of reminder that you should remember we don't need something new. Everybody's looking for that next. We're conditioned. By our consumeristic world. Guess what? The iPhone 14 is just like the iPhone 13. It's just shinier. It's new. It's been the same dang phone since 2008. They revolutionized it, but it's been the same since. We don't need new. New leads to falseness, new leads to heresy. What we need is what has been already given. Where does Peter ground these people to stir them up? Remember, verse 2, the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. What's he talking about here? Where do we go to get stirred up? Our devotion peace, which comes from our gospel peace. Well, what are the predictions? The, your Bible, I don't know if you know this, your Bible is in two sections, two testaments. The first is the Old Testament, and you may have heard some big shot, fancy Atlanta preacher say the Old Testament doesn't matter anymore. But guess what? In the New Testament, 
Peter, the leader of the apostles, says, yeah, Old Testament, still germane, still relevant. Remember the prediction. The Old Testament is all about what God's creation, our sin, and what God was going to do about it. He was going to send a Savior. More than 300 Messianic prophecies in the Old Testament, which Jesus fulfills every one. I've preached that sermon before. It's ridiculous odds. You'll have to go back and find it. We don't have time. We got Old Testament here and New. The teaching of the apostles. Here we find it again. That is uh, the people who Jesus taught on earth. He inspired by the Holy Spirit to take those words Jesus taught them and for them to write it down. That became the 27 books of our New Testament. How are we stirred up to work? Through remembering what God says, through remembering what God has already done, through remembering all the commands of God that he gives, both Old Testament and New. Which is why here we alternate Old Testament book, New Testament book, Old Testament, because they're both important. Sorry, Mr. Stanley. I thank God we're not in Buckhead influenced by all that nonsense. Where we would say no to God's word. To get land at a cheaper rate. By the way, look over verses 15 through 16 real quick. We don't have time for this, but we're talking about scripture. This is so awesome. Because this is the end of the book. Peter is talking. And he begins to talk about Paul. Now here's probably, I mentioned this. My kids and I talked about this a long time. Because what do you hear out there in the world? As we erase gender and boys are boys and girls are girls. You can live any way you want. There are no boundaries. There are no rules. And there is no authority. And there is no accountability. Do what you want. Do what thou wilt. The satanic verse. It's how we live. And when you go to the Bible, people tell me all the time, well, you know, that's just Paul. Now the Gospels, we go back to the Gospels and the Gospels are good. But oh, writings of Paul, you got to watch. You know, he really wasn't an apostle. He, he was kind of later. And, and we don't have to, his words don't have the same weight as the Gospels. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Each and every one of the 27 books in the New Testament is authoritatively, inerrantly, The word of God, it is without error, it cannot fail. It is God's words through his apostles of whom Paul was least. Watch what Peter says. And by the way, just so you know, go back to Galatians. Peter and Paul have had words at times. Their relationship has not always been smooth. You get two alpha males in a room, they're going to lock horns at some time. Just me and Daniel. (laughs) Sometimes you got to lock horns. The reality is, they worked through it. And look what Peter says to Paul. Count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you, according to the wisdom given him who gave Paul the wisdom. Paul will tell you, Christ, I'm not telling you what I'm making up. I'm telling you what I've been given, he says. 1 Corinthians 15, 1. As he does in all his letters, Paul's letters, 13 of them in the New Testament, 14 if you count Hebrews. As he does in all his letters, when he speaks in them on these matters, there are some things in them that are hard to understand. 
If you've ever been reading Romans 10, scratching your head going, vessels of honor, did what? You're in good company because Peter's scratching his head too when he reads Paul's letters. What is Paul talking about? Sometimes he, Paul can be hard. Again, Peter's a fisherman. Paul is extreme intellect of the day. Paul, uh, Paul had been, who his original name was Saul, had been in the ivory tower with Gamaliel. He knew like seven different languages. He had the equivalent of two doctoral degrees in the ancient world. He was the up-and-coming Pharisee of all Pharisees. So Peter, of course, is like, yeah, sometimes I read Paul and I just don't know the words that he's using. I need a thesaurus and a dictionary. <laughs> but watch what Peter says. It takes humility, right? Peter, the clear leader of all the apostles. Do you know Peter is mentioned to hunt over 100, it's actually 189 times to be exact in the New Testament. You know who the next of the 12 is after him? John. He's mentioned 50 times. You know who the next is after him? The half-brother of Jesus, James, who was mentioned 18 times. Peter is the clear leader of the 12 in the New Testament. But he's talking about Paul. He's sometimes hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist, same thing people do today, twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. What What does Peter do here? He takes the writings of Paul and he equates them with scripture. So don't let anybody confuse you to say, well, Paul's writings really aren't, shouldn't be part of the New Testament. Oh, they should, according to the leader of the twelve, Peter himself. Back to three, let's go. Remember where we're at. I want to stir you up through God's word, Old and New Testament together. Why? We've got a work to do. And what is that work? Why do we need to work together as a church? Yes, we all have work to do at home. We've got kids to raise. We've got uh, food to put on the table. Why should we work together as a church? Here's why. Because there's a problem. There was a problem then. The problem is now as well and has exacerbated. Knowing this first of all, scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing. What do you know? Scoffers going to scoff. You can see them online. Hey, scoff, respect, scoff. (laughs) Jesus is coming back. Scoff. Did you just say the word scoff? Parks and Rec. Nope, you're not there. All right, forget it. Scoffers are going to come. Who are scoffers? People who want to balk at the gospel. People who don't want to believe in the gospel. People who want to point, try to find inconsistency in the gospel. The people who don't know anything about what they're talking about, but say things like, oh, the Bible's just full of contradictions. Name one. Oh, it just is. Scoffers are going to scoff. Why? Why are there scoffers? Why are there people that just won't believe? The Bible gives us the answer. And hear this. Our motivation here is the gospel. Everything centers upon it. The motivation of the scoffer is found somewhere else. Where is it found? Let's read. Knowing, first of all, scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. What kind of scoff comes from a sinful desire? Look at verse 4. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? What's the scoff? Where is he? 
can't be true. He said he's coming back. He's not here. Where is he? Dad went to sleep. His dad went to sleep. Promise uh, uh, of God. But, but where is it? Where does, the, where does the questioning of God, where does the questioning of his promises, the questioning of his, where does it come from? The motivation for all scoffing is the sin we want to commit. I've been in hundreds of sessions where some guy comes in and wants to, he, take, he goes to Jesus' words on marriage and divorce. He's like, now tell me exactly, does this word mean this? Does this word mean that? And he really wants to dig in to those verses. And I know I'm sitting there in my head going, you hate your wife and you want to divorce her, don't you? That's why you care about these verses. It is our sinful hearts that causes us. If you're having trouble doubting God's infallible, inerrant word today, it is because there are desires in your heart that go against what God says for you, how he says for you to live. That's where all scoffing, that's where all doubt, that's where all questioning comes from, our own sinful desires. Ultimately, we don't want what God wants for us. We want what we want for ourselves. That is the motivation for all sin. Sinful desires bring the scoffers out scoffing. Well, where is your God? They put you in a corner. They're the ones out there living like maniacs, and they want to put you in the corner. Where's your God? Where's the promise? I mean, after all, it's been 2,000 years. Where is this coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. Here's Peter's response. For lay deliberately overlook this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the words of God and that by means of these the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. When you open up the Genesis, there's a big Theme. There's a big word picture here. There's a big metaphor, but it's not just a me- Don't think of it as ethereal. It's literal truth. Genesis is not poetry. It's literal truth. The one thing I disagree with Tim Keller, I love Tim Keller, man. He's awesome. Read his books. They're amazing. But Genesis is not poetry. It's God speaking the world into existence in seven days with evenings and with nights. With mornings and with nights, rather. God's word is true, even if it's hard for us to believe. What he's saying is these scoffers have forgotten what God did way back then. As the Holy Spirit hovered over, by the way, the waters always represent chaos. I mean, think about this. Ten minutes. (laughs) Forget it, I was going to do some Viking stuff. Never mind. God creates and brings order from chaos. Right? Through the word of God and through the use of water, God brings all things into existence, ex nihilo, out of nothing. But then, by Genesis 6, the world is so evil and the world is so wicked, God uses that same fundamental building block that he speaks into existence to bring his wrath upon his creation. 
He saves Noah who listened to God. And as he listened and followed God, it was counted to him as righteousness. Noah and his family were saved. But God used that same water from creation to flood the earth and cleanse it of the, the immorality and the godlessness and the sexual, sexual uh, deviancy of man. Peter says they, those scoffers have forgotten God's wrath has already been shown and that God's wrath is coming again. Watch. Why does our work matter? Because God's already shown his wrath once and his wrath is coming again. When we look at this world, look, it's easy to get upset. It's easy to shake our fists. But the reality is there should be a pity in the hearts of every man of God and every woman of God for those who are lost and running head first into the wrath of God. They don't know what they don't know. And how will they know unless someone tells them, Hebrews 10, unless there's a, a preacher who will, will come and proclaim God works through his word. Who's the steward of his word? The church. Each and every single one of us are part of this thing. And the wrath of God has come and it's coming again. This is the, this is the, the, the impetus for us to be serious about the work that we do together in, in here at home in Ackworth, in planting churches all over the world, in planting campuses here at home. We've got a job to do. The world is running towards hell. And as we saw from Jude this past summer, our job is, is to reach down. And I love the word the Bible uses, snatch. Reach out and snatch them from the... That's not like, hey, buddy, you need a hand? No, as they're falling into hell, you reach out and grab their hair and you pull them out. How? Not through our power but through the work of God's power through the gospel. Let's, let's read it. Actually, uh, I want to read it. We don't have time. I'm lost in an existential dilemma right now. Uh, let's do it. All right. Verse 7, but by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire. So, right, so God showed his wrath through water, but this next wrath is coming through fire. And you really need to pay attention to words in the Bible that have to do with hell. Right, there's Sheol, Hebrew, in the Old Testament. There's Hades, a New Testament Greek word for uh, these words just being the place of the dead. The word for hell, hell, lake of fire, hell, is Gehenna. That's where the fire dieth not. And that's what's coming. Water first, this time through fire. Fire's coming. Stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. Lord Jesus, thank you for helping me to stay here. But do not overlook one fact. Beloved, that with the Lord a day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. The scoffer, where's your God? In 2,000 years, time in the economy of God and the kingdom of God doesn't work like time here on earth. Praise God, amen. Aren't you glad? Watch, watch. See the heart of the Lord here. 
Why should we work hard for him? See his heart. Remember when he reached down and snatched you. Think about how many more he wants to reach down and snatch. Why has God not come back yet? He should. His eyes are flaming with fire. Why hasn't he? Here's the answer from the leader of the apostles, taught by Jesus himself. The Lord, verse 9, he is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness. He's not slow, but he is patient toward you. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. You want to know why the Lord's not back yet? Because I don't know about you, but here's what I'm praying. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. I'm ready. Right? Whether you're rapture ready or judgment ready or whatever ready you're for, I'm ready for Jesus to return. I'm ready for this world to be no more and to see the glorified kingdom of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If it was up to me, if I had the right ear of God, I would say, I think it's time now. <laughs> it's time. Get the little bag of lightning bolts. Make it happen. Aren't you glad Jesus has the right ear of the Father and not me? Aren't you glad Jesus has the right ear of the Father and not you? There are. Why isn't the scoffer scoffs? Why isn't he here? He's not here because there's more people that Jesus wants to save before the end. There's more people. His heart is to save. He seeks out to save the lost, which is why our heart must reflect his heart. And we should put our hands to the plow. Because every, if we got down to verse uh, 10, all works are going to be exposed. Which I was going to take you to 1 Corinthians 3. Even the, our works are going to be exposed that we do for him. We're not saved by our works. We're saved by his work. But our works still matter. And we shouldn't waste our life together as the church in trying to snatch others out of the fire. But turn to 1 Corinthians 15. We'll end there. Verses 9 and 10. Man, I have preached my microphone off. I'm just going to hold it because we're almost done. Look, hear, the, hear me. You saw the video today. There's another video next week to talk about legacy. And we're already seeing it. I was talking to a family that stopped by the house on just this past week. We got to talk for a few minutes, and they were talking about one of their kids and, you know, trying to figure out where we're going to go to college. And, and they, they actually came out of their mouths. But he's a, four, he's a four points baby, so he doesn't want to be far from his church. You guys see my son. He's not here this weekend because they've got, you know, he's part of a Greek club now. So they got tap night. He's out killing a bunch of kids, new taps this weekend. Just pray for them. But he's here every weekend. Many of your kids. God's doing something. People know where it's real. People know where it's true. People know when they're hearing something that they're not hearing anywhere else in this world, that means something. That's who we are, and that's worth being part of. 
It's where those babies that you hold are going to be holding babies in 20 years if we do this right. Those kids that you're teaching are going to be teaching the next generation of kids if we do this right. This isn't just about us right now. Praise God, you need help in your marriage. Praise God, you need help in your family. Praise God, you don't know what to do about something in your life. We're here for you now. But it's not just about here and now. We stand on the shoulders of those who have come before us. And we're raising up next generations who are going to come after us. And we got to get the gospel right. we got to show them the gospel. Yes, we got to speak the gospel. You can't be saved without hearing the gospel and believing it. But just like marriage is a picture of the gospel, the church is a picture of the gospel. All of us coming together, working together to serve for gospel purposes. Paul says this, verse 9, I am the least of the apostles. Some of you in this room, you may feel that, Brent, every year I get convicted. You preach these sermons, and I want to do more. But, you know, a couple of weeks, I get in there, and a couple weeks later, oh, the fire's gone. The, well, number one, keep stirring it up through the Word. Of course it's going to go out. Of course. How do you think I get up here every week and give you everything I have? You think it's just normal? You think it's just in me? You think it's just my personality? It's not. How do I keep the flame alive? Because believe me, in my life, the flame dies too. You got you to keep it fanned. How do you keep it fanned into flame? Through God's word, you stay in it. It's important. Don't let it die. I can't remember the main point I was going to make. <laughs> Oh, you may, after a couple of weeks, you may feel like, ah, this, I'm not making a difference. This is Valerie, John, these kids kept Briar from, from being on the roof every Sunday. Last time we ate with them, we talked about watching these kids and watching them grow up and be in their form day by consistency, day by day, week by week. It makes a difference. It makes a difference in their lives. You don't see it. You see it from your perspective. You don't see what's going on in them. You don't see what God is doing in them. But he's doing a work and he uses you, Paul. Paul, the battle axe in God's hand in the first century feels like the least. So what does he do? For I am the least of the apostles. Un unworthy. I love Paul because he knows exactly who he is. Dead dog. Unworthy to be called an apostle. Because I persevered. Remember, he killed and imprisoned Christians before God saved them. If God can use that guy. Verse 10. But by the grace of God. And this is a little Popeye here. I am what I am. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, even though I felt like the least, I worked harder than any of them. Though it was not I. He can't even take credit for that. It's all glory to God. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is within me. We don't get to choose how God uses us. 
But we can be used by God. Know the gospel. Grow in knowledge and faith of God's word in the context of community, other Christians. And put your, may it be said of you. Listen, we were just at Josh Proctor's celebration, 46 years old, gone to be with the Lord, received his crown. I'm happy for him. Death is gain, amen? But if you would have seen the room in Cartersville, the the people poured in, they filled the sanctuary, they had to open up the side doors, the hallway was filled. One person can make a difference for the Lord. You can't, but not me. I've yeah, job, but not me. Do you know Josh? (laughs) If God can use Josh, if God can use John, if God can use Brent, he can use you. Put your hands to the plow and work harder than anybody else and see what God does and how many show up when you leave this world. I love you. Let's pray. Father, you're a good God. May your word be power in the hearts and lives of your people. It is only and always up to you alone. And we trust you for whatever you do in us and through us. In Jesus' name, amen.